0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review on this momentous 243rd anniversary of the founding of this nation. It is the weaning hours, really minutes, of July 4th. Heck, it's practically Friday, July 5th. I can't even think straight because I've been on the road the last couple of days. But really, I've been... In such a rush to get back in front of this microphone, it's certainly been terrific to take these few days off, be with my kids, although I must say, a vacation with three boys under the age of 10 is sort of, I don't want to say it's harder than working, but I need a vacation from the vacation (laughs) It is very taxing. Uh, any of you with, that have a bunch of young kids will appreciate that you're basically serving your kids every second of the vacation, and it's just ten times harder because they're out of their element. You're out of the element. They don't know where anything is. They need help with everything. But nonetheless, it was it was good to clear the mind. Good to just get away from oh, the i nInety five urban cesspool. Frankly, I hate where I live. I mean, I love my family and my neighborhood, but gosh, I wish I lived in some of the places where I vacation, Western Pennsylvania this time, really patriotic area. Um, you see how people get into the holiday spirit of Independence Day, much more so than than where I live, uh, you know, in the I-95 corridor. But anyway, I got back a couple hours ago. And you're not going to get this, obviously, till till Friday. But, I and I say this without a tinge of sarcasm, because I know a lot of you think, I've been down on the president, and I certainly am this week, given what's going on, given the cowardice in this administration. But I will say that was a beautiful event the president held at the National Mall in front of the Lincoln Monument. Very befitting because Lincoln really immortalized the Declaration of Independence, I think more than anyone else, in raising its prominence or re- restoring its prominence as the founding document upon which the Constitution itself rests. And by the way, you could still hear – I don't know if some of you could hear it on the broadcast, but we still have fireworks going on in the background, and, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that at least we still celebrate that. Um, And I think it was important to have that military-style parade of um, aircraft going across the sky, singing the Battle Hymn of of the Republic, God Bless the USA. Beautiful event. But again, you know what I'm going to say. Just like a store that has... Stuff in the window that advertises what's in the store. It's only important if it's backed by merchandise in the store that is reflected by the samples in the window. It's the same thing with these parades and speeches and ceremonies. These quasi cultural flashpoints of patriotism that the president stokes up against the left on his Twitter account, elsewhere. It's good. It's important that we see some patriotism from our president that's really been lacking for many years. And I think we all appreciate that about President Trump. But the important thing is that the policies of this government reflect the values of the day after all, what's the good in celebrating our military? And, and it was really beautiful the way the president narrated the history of the different branches of the, of the armed forces. But what's what's the purpose in celebrating that if we can't secure our, our own border? So the goal for conservatives should be to take forth from this day. The light of the fireworks amidst the dark skies. Some sort of path forward. So that we're not just celebrating something in the abstract that doesn't really reflect the reality of the direction of our country. That we don't just go on the next day and fight over nothingness and say, well, you see, you were making fun of the president all week for a military parade. And look, it was a beautiful event. And it certainly was. But that's it Easy. What's hard is to create a path like our founders did to break the chains of bondage from the most powerful military at the time that we were subjects of. To do that nowadays, 243 years later. Except we don't have the red coats. As I noted in my annual July 4th manifesto, we have the black robes. It's funny how I go away for a couple days and nothing really changes. Border and courts. Everything flows from those issues, directly or indirectly. I could go away for a month and until and unless we create a movement to actually execute the values expressed in our founding document, that all just powers of the government derive only from the consent of the governed. All the fireworks and parades are worthless. So what is it? What is it that we're celebrating? Well, as you well know, it's not just independence an Independence Day. Lots of countries have an Independence Day. That's normal. You know, a time when the country was founded, discovered, threw off the yoke of a you know another governing power. That is very very normal. What was not normal at the time was a nation created. Founded upon self evident truths. So, what we celebrate on July 4th is not the resolution to break away, answering the call, the motion from Henry Lee to actually create a new nation, but to create one upon these self evident truths. You know, at the 100th anniversary, 100th anniversary of the Declaration, kind of an obscure character in our history, because he only served for president for a very short period of time before he was assassinated. But he was congressman at the time, James Garfield, July 4th, 1876, said, now more than ever before. The people are responsible for the character of their Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, And the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. And that's why I stand before this microphone, which I'm so thankful that 243 years later, we still do have freedom of speech. That much we do have. I am so thankful that I have this opportunity to at least address what I believe is the most important branch of government, and that is we the people. Because at the end of the day, the body politic reflects what we demand from it. It's like the squeaky wheel. The squeakiest wheel gets the most oil. The squeakiest wheel are the dark forces of despotism, socialism, multiculturalism. People don't understand sovereignty, whether it's jurisdictional sovereignty. Governing sovereignty of self-government, individual sovereignty, state sovereignty, and national sovereignty. All the three sovereigns in their respective proper spheres and roles of power. It's totally, totally done away with by that crowd. They get the most oil. But if we got in their faces... And it's not just Congress. You know, James Garfield was writing as a member of Congress. He wasn't president yet until five years later. But the same applies to the president. This president, as you see, he's patriotic. He has it in his heart. He's a flawed man. Truth be told, Jefferson himself, as we know, is a flawed man. As were many of the founders. But he has a lot of good to him. But we got to appeal to that good. We got to demand it. You know, we all saw this. I I went away from vacation with my last articles being about the courts and the census. That you can't even take a census of your citizens because of this crazy notion that the courts could control that. And I noted all the reasons why this was the best opportunity for the president to finally push back. And lo and behold, as I'm on the road, my first day in vacation, I see my phone blowing up with all sorts of stuff. The president caved. But people, you know, even with me out, rebelled against it. Congressman Chip Rory led the fight. And now the president... You know, he gets his news from Fox News. He sees some of our people rebelling against it, which is a good thing. And he says, not so fast. Now, I'm not so confident it's going to change, but it's up to us. And I think our small voice is being heard, our articles are getting out. So far, it looks like I'm on for Sunday morning on Fox and Friends. They asked me to come on, talk about criminal aliens. (laughs) I thought I did everything I can to get banned from Fox, but heck, you know, I'll take it. Certainly that avenue, not not just to reach the broadest audience, but to get to the president himself who watches that show. That's the thing. While we had better leaders at the time of our founding, but I think James Garfield was right 100 years later, and certainly now, they're not going to lead on their own. We have to make them lead. That's the reality. So what happened? 22 score and three years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent A new nation, but not just any new new nation. A new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Paraphrasing the Gettysburg Address there. What are those principles? So again, I always quote every July 4th Calvin Coolidge's a uh, commemoration marking the 150th anniversary in 1926. He said, quote, there is something beyond the establishment of a new nation, great as that event would be in the Declaration of Independence, which has ever since caused it to be regarded as one of the great charters that not only was to liberate America, but was everywhere to ennoble in, in, in humanity. It was not because it was proposed to establish a new nation, but because it was proposed to establish a nation on new principles, that July 4th, 1776, has come to be regarded as one of the greatest days in history. Packed into those 201 words, just in the preamble, before you get to the indictment and the commitment to pledge our lives, fortune, sacred honor to the cause. The document crafted by Thomas Jefferson, but as part of the committee, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Livingston, Roger Sherman, were six foundational principles that I, in my view, could be gleaned. Foundational principles on the morality of a just governing system. Number one, That individuals are born with natural rights that come from God, not a human institution. They come from God. God is the source of those rights. Number two, the chief among those natural rights, again given by God, are life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, property rights, as I always note, implicit in those rights are the natural rights of self-defense to defend that. Sam Adams said this um, at the time. I believe this was... It might have been a little earlier. But... Um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was around the Boston Tea Party or the Boston Meeting. It was a couple of years before. I should look that one up. But you could you could Google this quote as I'm saying it. He said that among the natural rights of the colonists are these. First, a right to life, secondly, to liberty, thirdly to property, together with the right to defend them. In the best manner they can. So you see again. The right to self-defense. I hate. I hate what we call it. The second amendment. Madison believed we didn't need the second amendment. It was a self-evident right. On par with the big three. Because you got to. You got to defend it. You got to defend your property. But you also got to defend your person. So if I can't walk around Maryland, Baltimore, with a gun on my person, I can't protect my person, that's a violation, not just of the Constitution, but of our most foundational document stating these natural rights given by God. Principle number three, that individuals form a government as a social compact, to protect those inalienable rights from threats. In other words, that's great that you have them. It, they can't be, they're inalienable in the sense that they can't philosophically be denied from you, but physically they could be threatened and confiscated. So government is not all bad. We say this all the time. Government, to a certain extent, is necessary. You have to have the right sort of government. But principle number three is that individuals form a government as a social compact to protect those unalienable rights. That's the key. The fourth principle is that that there's a level a little bit lower down. Not everything that government does is unalienable rights. That's the chief reason for creating it there are other just powers that governments might exercise, primarily for the safety and stability of the society. May I say border patrol, military. You know, obviously on a local level, fire. You know, certain emergency services. But those issues and those Powers, those just powers, can only be exercised by the consent of the people as expressed through a legitimate form of government. Okay? So when it comes to unalienable rights, well, they're there. They're always there. Other stuff, that's legitimate, just powers for the safety and security of a society. They are within the right realm of the government. But again, they can only be exercised through the consent of the people. Inherent in the principle of consent of the governed is that no outside forces not controlled by the members of that society itself may determine the destiny of the society. No one could unilaterally assert jurisdiction. No one could force upon us anything, whether it's foreign nationals that haven't been properly admitted to that society by the rules prescribed prescribed of by and for that society. That people within that governing compact that don't have powers flowing directly or indirectly from the people cannot make that decision. Cannot make that decision. James Madison explained this in Federalist Thirty Nine. "Quote: We may define a republic to be." Or at least may bestow that name on a government which derives all its powers directly or indirectly from the great body of the people and is administered by persons holding their offices during pleasure for a limited period or during good behavior. It is essential to such a government that it be derived from the great body of the society, not from an inconsiderable proportion or a favored class of it. Otherwise, a handful of tyrannical nobles exercising their oppressions by delegation of their powers might aspire to the rank of Republicans and claim for their government the honorable title of Republic. It is sufficient for such a government that the persons administering it be appointed either directly or indirectly by the people. Think about that. The whole of the people. That's another principle. It's governed by the whole of people. It's not, oh, the ethanol farmers want this. Oh, this agitation group wants this. You got to drive down the middle of the road, the whole of the people. Not a governing lawyer class of buying for the black robes. It's amazing how you think about nowadays where our entire government is now controlled by the whims of foreign nationals. They could come in here, they could demand anything, they could sue for anything, they could grab citizenship for their kids, they could be counted in the census. It is unbelievable, and I'd be remiss not to dampen some of the fireworks with some truth bombs on this, because I'll tell you, I had goosebumps watching that presidential parade, military parade. It was terrific, absolutely, positively terrific. But let me tell you something, Mr. President, you are allowing the courts, random judges, to overturn the foundations, overturn the foundations of the very day that you're celebrating. (sighs) Next, what are we on to? Principle number five, that all human beings are created equal in access to and in defense of those inalienable rights. Okay, Very very clearly, we're not all equal to access of all even benefits of government, much less non-governmental private sector stuff. It's only equal access and defense of those inalienable rights non-societal outcomes, privileges, or other human pursuits. Because that would run counter to natural law. Because you're necessarily infringing upon the real unalienable rights of others to create man-made so-called equality for others. And again... Implicit in that is that all members of the society are given equal right to self-governance. Go. Equal right to self-governance. Obviously, John Adams had a great essay on equality, what that meant. He said, nature, which has established in the universe a chain of being, and universal order descending from archangels to microscopic and molecules has ordained that no two objects shall be perfectly alike and no two creatures perfectly equal. Although among men, all all are subject by nature to equal laws of morality and in society have a right to equal laws for the government, yet no two men are perfectly equal in person, property, understanding, activity, and virtue, or even can be made so by any power less than that which created them. And then, you know, on, on this point itself, on equality, a lot of people want to poo poo what was going on and say, ha ha ha, our founding is garbage. We still made slaves of people. But it's very short sighted because the founding of our constitutional republic, the declaration, the constitution, that was not founded upon slavery. The settlement of the continent. Which, which had more to do with the commerce of the slave trade promoted by the British monarch, that was founded upon slavery. The declaration and the founding of the American Republic sowed the seed to dissolve that thing. And that's the thing. It was an aspirational document. As Lincoln always said, with the hope of completing it, and he felt it was his job to complete it, and indeed he did. He actually alluded to this in his fifth debate with um, Douglas at Galesburg, Illinois, October 7th, 1858. The judge, he was referring to Stephen Douglas, the judge has alluded to the Declaration of Independence and insisted that Negroes are not included in that declaration. And that is a slander upon the framers of that instrument to suppose that Negroes are meant therein. And he asks you, is it possible to believe, right? He's mocking them. He's speaking in Douglas's voice. Is it possible to believe that Mr. Jefferson, who penned the immortal paper, could have supposed himself applying the language of that instrument to the Negro race, yet held a portion of that race in slavery? Would he not at once have freed them? That was Douglas's question to Lincoln. And Lincoln said, I think I may defy Judge Douglas to show. That he ever said so, that Washington ever said so, that any president ever said so, that any member of Congress ever said so, or that any living man upon the whole earth ever said so, until the necessities of the present policy of the Democratic Party in regard to slavery had to invent that affirmation. And I will remind Judge Douglas and this audience that while Mr. Jefferson was the owner of slaves, as undoubtedly he was, and speaking upon this very subject, he used the strong language that he trembled for his country when he remembered that God was just. And I will offer the highest premium in my power to Judge Douglas if he will show that he in all his life ever uttered a sentiment at all akin to that to that of Jefferson. And his point was that, look, all men are fallen. You have to understand the times, the habits they were born into, but they recognized it was wrong. That's why the reality is actually there There. There was a, you know, for the most part, there was not much of a debate over the declaration, it was more over the Constitution. But there was a little debate over the drafting because they were going to put in something about indicting in the list of indictments on King George, indictment on the slave trade. But the southern states, I think it was Georgia and South Carolina only, made him take that out. But you know what? It was put into the Constitution, 1808. Guess what? It said, you know, we can't regulate or stop the slave trade until 1808. But implicit in that was that, well, in 1808, you could get rid of it. And you know what? The very first day it was constitutionally possible to do so, guess who was president on January 1st, 1808? None other than the author of the declaration and he stopped the slave trade. A lot of people forget that was kind of the middle tranche, the middle level between 1776 and the civil war was 1808 when they at least stopped the cancer from growing, the slave trade. So anyway, that's that's the principle of equality. The absolutely war referring to all men. Um even American blacks who were at that point slaves. With the understanding that it wasn't feasible to get rid of it at that point. Again, remember, you know, had they adopted the Declaration of the Constitution 13 years later on the principle of immediately abolishing slavery everywhere it existed, you wouldn't have had America, which sowed the seeds to get rid of it. King George certainly was not going to get rid of it. Anyway, returning to the final principle is that when a long train of abuses and usurpations of these aforementioned principles continues without any other recourse, the people have the right and indeed a duty to rebel against the existing system that is perpetrating those abuses. And that's kind of where we are today, folks. I don't want to be here in front of this microphone, let's say seven years from now, seven years from now, when we celebrate the momentous birthday, 250th birthday of America, may we all be granted good health to live to that day. I don't want to be here in seven years from now on the same trajectory, except worse. Worse in the diluting of our sovereignty, worse in the lack of self governance, worse in the indenturing of our kids with insane spending, worse with government run health care. So, I want to create a movement that will actually restore these principles, not cheer them and applaud them, implement them. Don't just debate over the red, white, and blue and the national anthem. Debate what it means. It, it, it's pretty unbelievable when you think about it. You know, for, for, on, on a personal note, as if nothing changes, I remember going away last year. The last couple of years, I've taken a vacation July 4th week and the big news on my mind at the time was once again immigration. This is when it started. It was around June, July. The separation of families, nonsense, which they weren't separating families. The lack of articulation from the administration saying, look, these people are no better than American criminals. And then a judge issued a ruling, and then they just collapsed. They did nothing, and it became known you could just come here with a kid. And I remember going on vacation with the final piece of news being that Chuck Grassley, who was the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman at the time, was going to put forth a bill to get rid of the Flora settlement. Here we are a year later. That never happened. And by the the way, at the time, Republicans controlled all three branches of government. Let's not forget that and we warned about this. We warned what would happen if you don't follow current law and you don't stop misinterpreting current law and you and you continue to allow any district judge to just violate our laws. Here we are a year later, we're a little bit off the peak from the last 2 months thanks to an amalgamation of a couple of factors, but the baseline is still appalling. And we have to ask ourselves, what sort of progress are we making? How are we taking these fireworks, these patriotic hymns, to the next level? Because the more patriotic memes we have, the least the, 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 the less we have patriotic outcomes in our system. And so it was. I went on vacation a year later. And it's immigration in the courts. And I come back and it's immigration in the courts. And those two issues speak to the core. The core elements of what we just spoke about. Jurisdictional sovereignty. Individual sovereignty. Popular sovereignty. Think about it governance by the consent of the govern that we could have courts now tell us giving rights to foreign nationals left and right could you imagine that can you imagine how james madison said when he explained it as in his essay on sovereignty in 1835 one of the one of the latest writings from him He explained Republican government, majority rule, how the power has to flow from the elected representatives. What's the policy example he gave? Naturalization, citizenship. Only the people through their elected representatives could decide who comes in. Think about it. Roger Sherman, as we mentioned, was one of the five drafters of the Declaration of Independence, which declared it our right to be governed by the consent of the governed. He actually explained that naturalization was given to the federal government in order to prevent particular states from receiving citizens and forcing them upon others who would not have received them in any other manner. Again, remember, why don't we create a government, and particularly a federal government, we create a state government to protect the rights that just individuals couldn't do without binding together, but then we have another layer to deal with an even smaller but very vital subset of issues that the states were incapable of doing. And they were concerned that the states, in their alacrity to juice up their population to get more representation – Would go and bring in people. That other states wouldn't want to bring in. Think today about. Oh I want my cheap labor. I want this parochial interest. But is that good for the whole of the the union? Is it good for our security? Is it good for our culture? This was Roger Sherman. Explaining why states didn't have control. Of this. Think 243 years later, when Roger Sherman signed his name on that document in that drafting committee, that we now have states like New York getting standing in a court and unelected body to tell the federal executive branch that you cannot have a census to weed out illegal aliens at the behest of states who want to juice up their population with illegal aliens. That would never and indeed were not brought in legally through our federal system. You could not have possibly conjured up worse of a violation of this very preamble than we have today. That's just a simple reality, folks. I I want you to think about this. Roger Sherman was explaining the reason behind this. And they now say, nope, anyone could just come in. States could get standing to sue. States, oh, sanctuary states, there's nothing you can do, Daniel. State sovereignty. No. States have sovereignty, but they can't violate the federal sovereignty. And then we have just over the weekend, not the weekend. Or, huh, I'm I'm losing my mind. We, we are at the end of the week. It's like I'm coming for Monday's show, you know. But we had just uh, just on Tuesday, a Seattle judge, not even on the border, random Seattle judge, being able to say that. Forget about just kids. Even adult males seeking bogus asylum when congress in 1996 passed the law unanimously saying they shall be detained now you saying they have to have bond hearings they have to have bond hearings sorry she i meant marsha Pe- petchman they have to have bond hearings I have a challenge to all my colleagues that get up there and say, um, Congress needs to act. We need the do lo- new laws. The laws are broken. I have news for you. The courts are saying that the laws we have designed to preclude this situation passed unanimously by the Senate, which included at the time. Chuck Schumer or at least Chuck Chuck was in the house and he voted for it. Nancy Pelosi, James Clyburn, Pat Leahy, Diane Feinstein, Dick Durbin, Joe Biden. Many, many more signed by President Clinton. They're now saying that if someone comes here, they have a constitutional right to be released on to, to get a bond hearing. Our constitution applies to everyone. We don't have a social compact. See, I, I must, I must submit here. I don't think our founders ever even envisioned this. A, they never envisioned we would have a country that would self-subjugate itself to the rest of the world, not by the boot of a red coat, mighty British army, and B, that it would be done by the unelected branch of government. A lot of things kept them up at night, that their experiment might not work. Judicial tyranny wasn't one of them. The president being a king, maybe. How a president could be told by a district judge how to run a border, foreign nationals being given rights that you can't even create a society without people unilaterally asserting jurisdiction that violates the most foundational underpinning of the declaration of independence. But this happened just this week. Yeah, I know, Danny, we have to fix the laws. No, you idiot. You're not listening. The judge is saying not that Trump, you are not following the law. The judge is saying the law is unconstitutional. One after another, the Ninth Circuit does this. And what's fascinating is you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we just have a court case on bond hearings? But there's 20 different stages or spheres of of illegal immigration, the immigration process, deportation process. At each one, the lower courts are playing a game of catch me if you can, saying, You need a bond hearing until the Supreme Court overturns it. And it takes about four years to overturn each one. And every time they're you know, eventually gets overturned. But you have four years worth of criminal aliens being released indefinitely into our communities with irrevocable harm. All because of illegitimate rulings. Violating our laws. And yet these ignorant fools everywhere I go are like, oh, I need the law, Daniel. Again, what did James Garfield say? If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance. Learn the laws. Learn the laws. Again, this is another example of parts of 1996 law not being implemented. Trump t- tried to implement them finally. And a judge says, no, you can't do that. A Seattle judge could control what's coming in at our border. The president, I, I know he means well. And that's what makes it so frustrating Because if we would get in his face, and you're seeing this a little bit, we start to get in his face, He's starting to change his mind on the census. These are very critical days and weeks coming up. This is where it's at. He's got to turn the corner on some of these issues. You do it once or twice, the game's over. But if he doesn't do it at all, his presidency is over nothing is going to change in the coming days and weeks and years. Years! I mean, if you're telling me that even the things that Obama did, he can't merely countermand. If you're going to tell me that Republicans winning back the House... It's not going to change anything. Trump getting reelected is not going to change anything. And we're going to be here 7 years from now celebrating the 250th anniversary under much darker circumstances. I shudder to think what this country will look like just in just 7 years from now. When you look at how the values have gone down the tubes From just seven years ago. When you look at that Overton window. Of just Obama. From seven years ago. To today. So. Look. We're in a good place here. There's a resurgence of patriotism. And I I think it's a great thing. But we have to channel it to something intelligent. Intelligent. You know what the colonists faced, as I noted in my article? Nothing per, nothing personal to our founders, but that was nonsense. Taxation without representation? Stand back. <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week. You think King, King George controlled the general aspects of their lives? Those were the very few things he did control. Imagine if he said, you have to marry a horse and a donkey. And while there were references there to them kind of being hamstrung from fighting the Indians and accusing uh, King George of inciting them against them, you didn't have anyone saying, "Hey, anyone who invades you is a, is a is a citizen." And believe me, they had they had strict citizenship rules then. You know, the colony has really regulated that. They regulated who who you know who was allowed to be there. They deported people back then. And you know, when they say, oh, we didn't have uh, immigration rules till 1881, it's not true. Colonists controlled it, then the states, then the feds. But I just want you to think. Think about all those six principles that we spoke about. And just how each one has been flipped on its head and think about how we could take it to the next level because a critical mass of us it doesn't take that many people even back then when in my view people were more virtuous it was a small minority that led the revolution and we don't need a civil war to deal with the black robes come on please give me a break It's ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Who could ever imagine that? I mean that's how Mark Levin starts off um you know the forward to my book Stolen Sovereignty. Of all the things that the kept the founders up at night. Having a judicial North Korea wasn't one of them. What we have today is self-subjugation. It's like a fly that thinks it's trapped, but it's not. It could really get out, but it doesn't know how. So by default, it's trapped. Oh, we we don't know what to do. We can't run a country. The district judge, uh, so what? So what? They don't govern us. I mean, how could you just say immigration laws are unconstitutional? But again, these are the things we need to tell the president. We need to say, wait a minute, Mr. Trump, what law do you want Congress to pass? Let's just say Lindsey Graham's bill. Okay, it gets rid of Flores, Hold them for longer. Family unit. They'll say it's unconstitutional to hold a family unit for a hundred days. Okay, they'll say it's unconstitutional to not allow to 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 have a asylum only in their home country and not be able to come here. It's very simple. What are you going to do then? They're doing it already. Pay attention. We need to write, write new laws. Give me a break. We need to make the Declaration of Independence great again. Folks, here's the bottom line. We are no longer the incumbents. What I mean by that is that our constitutional system built upon the Declaration of Independence is no longer the prevailing system. We need to recognize that. There has been, as Mark Levin always says, a bloodless coup. So, you know, when we act as if, oh, Trump's in power, we're in power, look at all this patriotic stuff going on, Um, we just need to defend it. No, we need to charge the Hill to dislodge it. What we're doing is not working. And the problem is, I always talk about the Overton window. The left keeps moving it over, and we become satisfied with that. And our expectations become dulled. And then we just focus on the most extreme element of that window, the, the far left goalpost, while acceding to the gravitational pull of, of the first 90% of it all the way to the left. And somehow we're never prompted to jump out of this boiling pot of water and say, wait a minute, all of this is illegitimate. None of this is uh, legitimate. They they create new rights at breathtaking speed every day against our unalienable rights. We find this creating Fifth Amendment rights for, for illegal aliens in front of our eyes. And we're so focused on Oh, AOC, Acagio cortez But we don't realize that what she is espousing is being implemented in the courts. Not that the courts could implement anything, but the executive branch chooses to implement whatever any district judge says. And often now, they don't even appeal to the Supreme Court. They allow the lower court rulings to stand. Not that the, we should submit ourselves to the Supreme Court either. And what's so dangerous about the judicial tyranny, which is why I've dedicated my career to fighting this, is because it's the perfect Overton-Window situation. See, typically, if you want to implement something radical through the political branches, there's a fight over it. There's markers that are laid down. And when you cross that, it creates a certain amount of disquiet. The courts do it at breathtaking speed, a breath, breathtaking speed just, like, overnight. And people don't even realize it. And suddenly, radical things start changing and people are like, hey, well, what happened? Well, uh, you know, four years ago, there was this court ruling and no one ever heard of it at the time. That's what's so dangerous th- th- about what the left has done. In America, they've done this in a lot of Western countries. It's a brilliant tactic. You have the courts with life tenure silently implement all this and then before you know it it becomes the new reality it becomes the new so-called law and we're the ones who have to dislodge it we're the ones who need need revolution you know it's uh it's said when you when you look at what Calvin Coolidge was talking about in 1926 at the 150th anniversary of the declaration when he spoke about he warned against reform movements and new ideas. The problem is nowadays we need the new ideas to restore the old ones. So that's the lesson from today. The black robes are much worse than the red coats because we don't even realize the tyranny is happening. It's self-subjugation. It's too subtle. And, and this is the problem. Everything we're dealing with is a gray zone conflict. Those of you with military experience will know what I'm talking about. Gray zone conflict is opposed to black zone conflict where it's you're in a state of war, but you don't realize it. It's like that physically... With our southern border with the Mexican cartels. Gray gray zone conflict, so it's too too subtle, but it's like that politically too. A bloodless coup. So that's the thing. This morning, you know, we're gonna have all this commentary on oh, you know, how great it was. Oh, look what look what the left is doing. They made fun out of it. It such a beautiful patriotic event. And it truly was a great event the president put on. But now the president needs to take it to the next level. He needs to make that Declaration of Independence great again. That's his job. Because he has no choice. He has no choice but to push back against the courts. There's nowhere for him to run or hide anymore. They are literally dismantling everything. Again, this random judge, Marsha Petchman, Marsha from Seattle said that he must expand catch and release from children to single adults. Single adults. The law that says you shall detain them? No, it's unconstitutional. You're not allowed to detain them. That immigration judges must offer bond hearings. They must record the transcripts of those hearings. They must offer rationale as to why they are denying bond and the burden of proof in proceedings to deny the bond is on the government instead of the alien in contravention to 130 years of case law and that's where we stand now that's where we stand today so as we head into next week with congress coming back um with congress coming back and You know, the president has a lot of decisions to make. Yes, the numbers went down at the border in in June. So what, they're at March numbers that we called unprecedented? Is that going to become the new baseline that we're okay with that? Is that the new Overton window? That is really, really, really disturbing really disturbing. We can't allow that to happen. So you have to remember, the left is always going to fight another day. There's always a furthering of the Overton window that they're going to try to shove down our throats. So there's always going to be a point where we cross swords, even the phony conservative movement. But if we cross swords, after ceding hundreds upon hundreds of acres of liberty of sovereignty. What's the point? We got to stuff it at the line of scrimmage. Just want to end off here reading a little bit from the closing of Calvin Coolidge's speech commemorating the 150th anniversary at the time. And he said, it was in the contemplation of these truths that the father's made their declaration, adopted their constitution. It was to establish a free government which must not be permitted to degenerate into the unrestrained authority of a mere majority or the unbridled weight of a mere influential few. They undertook to the balance these interests against each other and provide the three separate independent branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial departments of the government, with checks against each other in order that neither one might encroach upon the other. These are our guarantees of liberty. As a result of these methods, enterprise has been duly protected from confiscation, the people have been free from oppression, and there has been an ever-broadening and deepening of the humanities of life. Remember, he said this at the time that you needed the checks and balances. Where is the check and balance? If we have one branch of government, And again, it's worse than one branch of government. It's one branch that has a thousand different random judges that the ACLU could pull a lever on, get one of them at any point to do their bidding. Anyway, he continued, under a system of popular government, there will always be those who will seek for political preferment by clamoring for reform. While there is very little of this which is not sincere, there is a large portion that is not well-informed. In my opinion, very little of just criticism can attach to the theories and principles of our institutions. There is far more danger of harm than there is hope of good in any radical changes. We we do need a better understanding and comprehension of them and a better knowledge of the foundations of government in general. Our forefathers came to certain conclusions and decided upon certain courses of action which have been a great blessing to the world. But before we can understand their conclusions, we must go back and review the course which they followed. We must think the thoughts which they thought. Their intellectual life centered around the meeting house. They were intent upon religious worship. While there were always among them men of deep learning, and later, those who had comparatively large possessions, the mind of the people was not so much engrossed in how much they knew or how much they had as in how they were going to live. While scantily provided with other literature, there was a wide acquaintance with the scriptures. Over a period as great as that which measures the existence of our independence, they were subject to this discipline not only in their religious life and educational training, but also in their political thought. They were a people who came under the influence of a great spiritual development and acquired a great moral power. So notice how he's saying, even though a lot of them didn't have time to engage in politics and political theory, but they had scriptures. Well, nowadays, we have neither, even though we have access to more information than ever. Anyway, he continued. No other theory is adequate to explain or comprehend the Declaration of Independence. It is the product of the spiritual insight of the people. We live in an age of science and of abounding accumulation of material things. These did not create our declaration. Our declaration created them. The things of the spirit come first. Unless we cling to that, all our material prosperity, overwhelming though it may appear, will turn to a barren scepter in our grasp. If we are are to maintain the great heritage which has been bequeathed to us, we must be like-minded as the fathers who created it. We must not sink into a pagan materialism. We must cultivate the reverence which they had for the things that are holy. We must follow the spiritual and moral leadership which they showed. We must keep replenished, that they may glow with a more compelling flame the altar fires before which they worshiped. And that was the closing of a seminal speech. I didn't even, you know, explain the foundation of what rites are, and I'll link to that speech in show notes if you haven't seen it, if you if you've never read it. You certainly need to do so. It's a must-read for any American patriot. It's, a, in my view, clearly in one of the top thirty or so uh, documents and speeches. But it's kind of eerie, thinking back, ninety-three years ago. You had the Progressive Era. Get gaining traction, and indeed. On financial issues that started the next decade under FDR. Coolidge sensed that. You could tell he sensed it. He sensed that a lot of it would come from paganism and materialism, just the fact that people were no longer in touch and sensitive to their spirituality just because life was good. When life is bad, you turn to God, you turn to spirituality. And that's part of the problem nowadays. Despite all the problems in our government, people, technology is so good that people live such good lives. It allows the dark forces of despotism to do their thing while good people remain silent because why risk your good life? Boy, I hope in seven years from now when we're at the 250th anniversary, we've at least made some sort of progress in rolling this back and getting back at some level to where Coolidge was when he was warning that things were starting to change. So, you know, look, the only difference between me and you, to put quite simply, is that I don't have a real job for a living. You guys are smart, you get it. I just focus on this all day so I could serve to guide you and point you in certain directions. As John Adams said, quote, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. <laughs> so you guys have real jobs, but someone's got to do this. And God has really blessed us here to, to have that independent platform where we don't have to worry about what other people are doing. We could speak the truth. But I need your support. I need your help in disseminating these broadcasts everywhere our writings everywhere you could send them. We are making progress. It's getting out there. You see, the powers that be can no longer ignore us. Hope you guys continue the celebration into the weekend. And hopefully we could take the bright sparks of the fireworks illuminating those dark skies to forge some sort of path of light. Maybe... Not to restore a republic fully, but at least to find some refuge for patriotic Americans to continue living the lives of our forefathers in this great nation that we so established. 22 score and three years ago today. God bless y'all. Have a great, great weekend. Next week, we are back to regular program.